All right, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Time Out Talk. We're your hosts, Raphael Singer. And Hunter Leon. And we're ramping up to the playoffs, man. It feels like, uh, feels like it's right around the corner. Uh, all the games now really have a lot of big playoff implications, or in the Lakers' case, play-in implications. <laughs> or not plan. <laughs> we're missing the plan altogether. But let's just talk about some of these specific games because there's been a lot of big games recently. Um, let's just jump into them. So I think one of the the most exciting games that happened as of late was the Bucks beating the Nets. This was a a really uh, marquee matchup. You know, we had Giannis going against um, KD. People could foresee this being the conference finals or because of the way the Nets seating is, like even a first-round matchup potentially because the Nets are hovering in that playing spot. Um, but the Bucks ended up taking this one. Chris Middleton got ejected for a flagrant two. Uh, so it was basically just Giannis there at the end. Uh, this is actually a game where he passed Kareem as the Bucks all-time scoring leader. And what's funny, it was on a clutch step back three. Uh, so yeah, it was a crazy don't, shot. Don't really know if we associate that with uh, Giannis's game, but it just shows how much he's progressed as a player. Like Giannis three years ago was not hitting that shot. Um, and so like, I just literally to- MVP Giannis is worse than now Giannis. Which is insane to think about. So I actually did want to talk about that. Like, we, I feel like the names we always talk about in MVP talks is, you know, your Embiid, your uh, Jokic, even Booker, DeMar DeRozan sometimes. Um, Do you think, I mean, Giannis, people usually have at three. I'm not trying to be disingenuous, but do you think he has a genuine shot at winning that award? Man, it's hard to say just because voter fatigue is a really a real thing, unfortunately, with like coming with, I'd say mainly with this award and uh, maybe defensive player of the year is another one where people have a lot of voter fatigue, I'd say. Um, yeah, but I mean, I don't think anyone in no one in history has won three in a row. And I think that's part of it. Um, but I mean, he wouldn't have won three in a row because Jokic won last year. OK, that's oh, actually that's true. But um yeah, I don't know what I was thinking. Yeah, Jokic did win last year. And, man, the case is hard uh, because I'm a big Giannis fan. I love his game. I love him as a person. Um, but I, th- I still think even with that voter fatigue is real, it's like, oh, it's just Giannis. Let's uh, get somebody else up there. I mean, I, I think that there's some people who feel that way gen- genuinely around the league. And now that the Bucks have moved up to the two seed, it, potentially even the one seed, I think people have to really start talking about that more. Yeah, true. Because, I mean, last episode when we talked about Booker's MVP case, we emphasized the winning aspect that is so integral to MVP conversation. And look, the Bucks are a 48-win team. They're second in the Eastern Conference. You know, they're one of the best teams in the league. Um, and that's mostly due to Giannis. I mean, he's been spearheading this team on both ends of the floor. I think, in my opinion – no matter what happens in the MVP race, I would pick Giannis to win Defensive Player of the Year. I think that he's been by far the best defensive player, um, just so versatile, so dominant uh, as a rim protector, just can really do it all on that side of the floor. And I don't really know who else is re- really even in competition f- with him for that spot. Yeah, and actually right now Giannis is second and leading the league in scoring behind LeBron. I think it's super close. I think it's something like LeBron's averaging 30.2 points per game and Giannis is averaging 30.1, like six or something. It's like super slim. 
Um, but that scoring title is up for grabs. And something like that could solidify Giannis's case even more for an MVP. Because right now he's averaging 30, 12, and 6. That is crazy. Yeah, that's um, ridiculous. And, I mean, these are better numbers than some of his MVP years. Um, yeah, I think his case is very legitimate. And what? let's just, like, outside of, like, Giannis, like, let's say he wins this year. What does that mean for his legacy as a player in this league, having three MVPs by the age of 27? I mean, that would just be ridiculous. I mean, he is already no longer talking about, like, oh, is he the best player in the world? Uh, because I feel like he's far eclipsed those types of conversations. We got to talk about him in all-time talks. I mean, he's already a top 75 player, according to the NBA. Um He's got to be like looked at as one of the best power forwards of all time, and he's going to be competing with Tim Duncan throughout his career for the that spot at the top as the best power forward to ever play the game. Um, and as he keeps racking these awards, like he's going to keep shooting up, like to where he could be a top twenty-five player when it's all said and done, top twenty, maybe even top fifteen. Who knows? Really, I, I would say Giannis has the potential to be top ten even. I mean, yeah, I'm not. Anything is possible, you know, like. If Giannis just continues his dominance, snags some more MVPs, wins championships back to back, gets a scoring title, gets another defensive player of the year, like those accolades really add up. And anything is really possible with Giannis. So it's it's really incredible to see. And, and I feel like people don't talk about this as much as they should. We all knew LeBron is going to be vying for all-time status the second he got into the league. So anytime he got a big achievement, when he got his first ring, when he got his first MVP, people were just so uh, so frenzied and talking about that because they knew where his is like peak is going to be. They knew that he's going to be competing with the with the greats. But Giannis is doing that right now, and people just treat him sometimes just like a regular player and don't realize he's an all time great in the making. And another thing he's doing is he's doing it on his team that drafted him. He's doing it from like a, a small yeah. market that, that which is a, another big accomplishment. And that's not a knock on players who are, who are drafted to small markets and leave their markets, but to do it in your small market, not to join other stars, like to, to grow something from where you are, says something about his character. Yeah. I mean, I, it doesn't feel too long ago when we heard all those rumors and talks about Giannis to the heat, Giannis to Toronto, Giannis, Giannis to, to the Mavs. <laughs> Mavs, yeah. There was like, I saw every single day on Twitter a new Giannis Photoshop. Even Giannis to the Hornets before they had Lamella. I was like, what's going on here? We got to relax. Um, <laughs> but I, I did want to mention something that we sort of brought up. It's that this scoring title uh, chase is really damn close. It's just a really tight race between Giannis, LeBron, and Embiid. Um, and it's sort of like rem reminiscent of the scoring title, I think it was in the 94 season when it was uh, David Robinson against Shaquille O'Neal. And I think, um, yeah, I think it was just David Robinson versus Shaq. And David Robinson dropped 71 on the last day of the 94 season to beat Shaq by 0.5 points. So I'm curious if we're going to see maybe like a crazy scoring performance by one of these players to try and secure that uh, spot. Because you know it's in the back of their heads. You know LeBron's thinking about it. You know Embiid's thinking about it. You know Giannis is thinking about it. So, yeah. Yeah, but, uh, if you have to pick right now, who do you think is coming out? LeBron. Yeah, I think he has to shoulder the largest load. Like, this meaning he's he's already on top. And something that 
it's definitely in the back of the mind for Giannis and for Embiid. They're like, I want, I want that. Like, I that is something to add to my cap that secures my legacy all time. Players think about this stuff. They might not like. It's not like as big of a deal as like some like analysts make it out to be, but the players do think about it. Yeah. Um. But the difference between I'd say where Embiid and Giannis sit and where LeBron sits is Embiid and Giannis are going to get ready for the postseason and still keep that stuff in mind. And LeBron has to go all out. He is in playoff mode right now, or at least he has to be if he wants even a chance to get into the playoffs or the, even the play in. That's true. And I mean, we see him been putting on crazy scoring performances for the past few weeks. He's playing 40 plus minutes a game every game, it seems like, and putting up crazy numbers. I did want to mention, though, that the last game of the season, the uh, the Bucks are going to be playing the Cavs, the Lakers are going to be playing the Nuggets, and the Sixers are going to be playing the Pistons. So maybe that could factor. Okay, that, that is true. Maybe a feed will pull a David Robinson and yeah. drop 71. On the I think game. I think Marvin Bagley is going to lock Embiid down. I actually think Embiid will score nine points that game. I mean, yeah, we know yeah. how much of a generational talent um, Marvin Bagley the third is. So, <laughs> Oh, something I, we didn't really touch on, but it's a note you put down here that I think is interesting to talk about. Something people have been talking about a little bit is Giannis's, like increased shooting. We talked about a step back three. But let's talk about this mid-range game. He's been shooting better from mid-range than Luka, Tatum, Zach Levine, Tyler Hero, Clay Thompson, uh, Jimmy Butler, Carl Anthony Towns, and Anthony Davis. That's a, a list of guys known for either mid-game, mid, mid-range shooting, or just shooting in general. And he's shooting better from mid-range than those guys. Is that something we have to talk about? Is, how are we? Is this a volume thing? I mean, yeah, I think it's definitely something we have to talk about. Like Giannis has become a very proficient mid-range shooter, even better than last year. And we know how in the postseason, his mid-range is really what elevated his game beyond just running and dunking. You know, when when players just stack under the rim and just try to build that wall, he would just shoot over them. And I think even this season, we're seeing a better three-point shooting season from Giannis which is insane to think about. He just keeps on improving. It's It shouldn't even be possible at this point. Um, but yeah, like look at the names he's ahead of for mid-range. He's ahead of Carl Anthony Towns. He's ahead of Zach Levine, Jason Tatum. These are guys we know to be great shooters. Um, I think this, of all those players, the odd man out really feels like AD because it's like, you know, this guy is not, this season he's not been in that same tier as all the rest of the players. Um, yeah. But no, I think that like, Come playoff time, we're going to see Giannis, like, using that mid-range a lot, taking those turnaround jumpers, taking those pull-up mid-ranges, and that's really what's going to help his team uh, beat out those, like, defensive schemes to try and stop him. Giannis, at this point, like, I don't really know how you can stop him uh, because it just feels like he has everything in his game now. I think it really just comes to down to is he hitting his shots in the given night? for the opposite team, which is a scary thing to think about. Cause if you're the opposing team, how do you game plan for, will our opponent be hitting their shots tonight? Yeah. It's just, you sort of have to cross your fingers and on the night where the bucks beat the nets, Giannis did hit his shots. He made the three, um, to, I think tied up. He hit his free throws to ice the game. Uh, he really just did it all when it really mattered the most. Um, and let's talk about the nets for a little bit now, because at the, in that game, KD took the, the shot, I think, for the win, uh, which sent it to overtime because he missed. And then the shot in OT to send it to double overtime. Or, or uh, that one was also for the win. But he missed both of them. 
And in overtime, Kyrie barely touched the ball. I think he took like a couple of shots. Um, and it was mainly just the KD show. And obviously, KD was taking those last last shots. So is that something you want to keep seeing this Nets team do, like just giving the ball to KD at the end of the games and really playing through KD? Or do you want Kyrie to get involved more, especially towards the end of these these close games? Well, I, I get how their system works, as in you have two of the most like clutch players of all time, two of the most prolific scores. Let's use that to our advantage and let's just see what one of them can do. Um, but at the same time, it's still a team game. You got five guys in the court and you already know that all five of the defenders' eyes are going to be either on KD or Kyrie, no matter who has the ball, whichever one. Even if KD gets the ball, two guys have their eyes on Kyrie and three have their eyes on KD. Um, but you still got three other guys in the court. And dep- the guys you have are some really incredible shooters. You have Seth Curry. You have Patty Mills. Um, obviously, some of your other shooters aren't in right now, being like Joe Harris. But like, you have to think about that and say, okay, well, if we have KD has the ball and nobody's like looking at Seth Curry, what if I pass to Seth Curry and he has an open shot? I will take a Seth Curry open three-point shot over the contested KD shot simply because I just trust Seth Curry that much. It's not that I don't trust KD, but that it's just a lower percentage shot no matter what he's done historically. I, I definitely agree with that. I don't know if I would fully – want to just give the ball to Seth Curry. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying just no, give I, the ball to Seth Curry, but I'm saying if, if he's open, yeah. No, yeah. I agree. But I think like even toward the end of games, I would want my stars taking those shots. For me, it's just like I want Kyrie to get involved more. Like we've seen how good Kyrie has been this season. Like we know what Kyrie can do in the clutch, especially in the biggest moments. Um, and the fact that he's barely getting the ball in overtime, that's bothering me. And I don't put too much stock into it because I think – you know, regular season, you can never put too much weight into these things. But come playoff time, which is really right around the corner, I need to see Kyrie getting more involved and getting more touches in, in these close game scenarios because yeah. he is really, like, one of the best sh- just pure shot creators in the game. And that's just an unbelievably valuable skill. You know, you give the ball to Kyrie, he's going to get you a good shot. And yeah, Ky- Kyrie's e- even arguably better in the clutch than KD is. That's a very arguable statement. I I mean, definitely. I I mean, I don't know if I can say definitely, but... I'm saying it's definitely an argument. I'm not saying it's definitely yeah, sure. true that Kyrie is better. A lot of statistics to back it up, too. Like, I've seen some crazy statistics about KD in the clutch recently, and it's really not as good as you think, because oftentimes, the, like, final play of the game is given an give it to KD and just try to make him score. And so he used to take a tough fadeaway three or something like that. And that's not a great shot, you know, but because it's KD, sometimes it goes in um, versus Kyrie, who's going to get you like actually a good look. Um, so, so moving on with the Nets, I didn't want to talk about Ben Simmons because there was been a little bit of noise about him potentially making a regular season return before the play-in and the playoffs. Um, obviously like, He's been having these lower back issues. So we don't really know what's going on with Ben Simmons. But let, let's say this. Let's say Ben Simmons does not make it back in time for the regular season, right? And he has to come back in the play-in. Do you think there's going to be issues trying to get him acclimated, especially considering he hasn't played NBA basketball for a full year? Like he's basically just going zero to 60 um, and having to be like in the gritty playoff environment after having not played the entire year. 
with the type of player Ben Simmons is, the only thing I would worry about is uh, like a little bit of chemistry. But at the same time, Ben Simmons is a smart player. He's defensive defensive minded so he'll, he'll, he'll still play scrappy and i wouldn't worry too much about it because the nets aren't going to play him if he's not healthy and they know what they're doing as an organization you have two very you're one strong meet leader from a mental standpoint in kd carry not necessarily um but you have a very strong leader in kd um who can guide ben simmons from a standpoint that he ben simmons hasn't really gotten in his career um so I think once he gets out in the floor, that kind of stuff will work itself out, even if it's going on during the play. And if you're the Nets, you're playing against teams like either the Hawks or the Hornets or even the Cavs. And any one of those teams has no chance of beating the Nets in a single game. None of those teams has a chance. I, I understand it's a single game. Anything can happen. But when it really boils down to it, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving will not let their team lose to the the Hawks. Like that's just plain and simple. I mean, yes, but also you know Trey Young, don't don't sleep on him. He's been probably one of the most I would say the most underrated player this season. No one talks about him. He's been definitively like a top five, maybe even top three point guard this year. Are you? Do you have issues with that? Um. Top three point guards. Um, I'm thinking Jaw, Steph. Um, I'd put Kyrie above him still. Kyrie's barely played, though. Come on, man. Trey's been doing this the whole year. Chris Paul. I think Trey's I put Chris Paul above Trey. I put Chris Paul above Trey. All right. Well, we can agree to disagree on that because. But I I think he's definitely top five. No question. Top five for sure. Yeah. So I think playoffs, and we've seen what he does in the playoffs. Like, he is a playoff performer for sure. And so, yeah, but at the same time, their their team is kind of made to be like a scoring match. It's like whoever scores more points. And that's exactly what the Nets feed into. That's a good point. And so I think that would be a really fun matchup. I would also take the Nets in that matchup, but I think they would make it a battle. But getting back to your point about Ben Simmons here, I think that like the Nets can work those things out even in a game against one of these teams and, and still be fine and ready for the playoffs. Like they'll, they'll figure it out as they go. I think, I think they're a team too, that can do that. But then just Ben Simmons, the fit on this team, it, it seems like it would work on paper, but you never know how these things actually translate. And especially the fact that Ben Simmons hasn't played in a full year is very worrying. So I don't know how they're going to ease him back in. in the. They might not play him at all this year. I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised either, but I think they will. I think when you have a like all-NBA potential talent like Ben Simmons, uh, then you got to like – you got to at least try, you know, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe like you try, it doesn't work and then you stop, but like, you got to at least give it a chance. Yeah. Um, with that, let, let's move on for, to talking about from two really good teams to two really bad teams. Uh, so the Lakers had a big matchup last night, big play in a implications as they're battling for that 10 seed to make it into the plan. But the uh, Lakers ended up losing to the Pelicans. Uh, this was a game where Anthony Davis finally returned from injury. I feel like we say that every three months. This is the game <laughs> AD finally returns from injury. Uh, and so what did you make of AD's return? Uh, AD looked great out there. Like, as far as from a simple standpoint, he was, like, thumbs-upping the bench. Like, he was like, yeah, I feel good out here. He was getting the – his mid-range game looked pretty good. Like, he shot – I think it, maybe it was, like, 8 for 16, so, like, 50% from the field. But he was hitting his jumpers – um, 
and you saw the difference he made on the rebounding end of the floor. I mean, I think he had like eight rebounds in the first half and he kind of just didn't rebound as much in the second half. But the Lake, one of the Lakers' biggest issues this entire year has been we cannot get any rebounds. The, the opposing team gets so many second chance points because they get so many offensive rebounds. And Kawhi, or sorry, not Kawhi. I don't know what I'm thinking of Kawhi. But AD comes back in and that just stops. It's a big difference. Now, the other, the Lakers definitely had other issues here, but Anthony Davis was not the problem. He looked great out there. And definitely there was some chemistry, a lacking of chemistry, some some sloppy turnovers that occurred, just generally miscommunication between the team. Um, but I think AD 20-10-6 is a great first game. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that, you know, this is the AD the Lakers need if they're going to make any sort of noise this year in the plan or even make the plan, they need to continue this type of performance, but yet the Lakers, they still lost. And I think part of that is you have to credit the Pelicans. I think they played a great game and especially CJ McCollum and Brandon Ingram who are looking really good together ever since that trade was made last night. They had um, combined 61 points, 15 rebounds, 11 assists and the Pelicans, including the game last night, they've won five of their last seven. So, do you think that next year, I know this is sort of jumping ahead, when Zion comes back, hopefully, um, CJ, B.I. is back, you know, Stephen Adams, or not Stephen Adams, Jonas. Yeah, this Jonas. Jonas. Apologies. Um, you know, is this team going to make any noise in the Western Conference next year? If they can get more shooters, maybe. I think the, this team's biggest problem is once you're going to have um, Zion on the floor, then you're going to have Zion, Jonas Valanciunas. Uh, Brandon Ingram is an all-right three-point shooter, but he really works in the mid-range. And say, same with CJ. CJ can hit threes, no question, but he operates in the, the mid-range. So their team is very oriented from like 18 feet and in. So teams are going to be able to game plan for that really easy and say, okay, we'll let them take the open three-pointers. We can live with that as long as you're not getting to the the bucket and if they're not hitting those threes then this team's going to struggle a lot so if they can sign some good three-point shooters in the offseason i definitely think they have potential to be even a, a play uh playoff team it's I possible agree. i think so yeah because like look at the starting lineup um probably you're running cj mccollum at point guard Devonte graham Devonte graham is not so he hasn't played at, like started at point guard in a while like i doubt they're just that's true play. you want to start cj so you're, you're putting cj bi probably herb jones um Zion and then Jonas Valanciunas and then coming off the bench probably then you got um as it stands right now Jose Alvarado Devonte Graham Trey Murphy the third yeah, Trey right? Murphy's look good Larry Nance Jr and then Willie Ernan Gomez so I mean like or probably you're throwing Jackson Hayes in the bench so probably sub uh sub, probably Willie Hernan Gomez yeah probably put Willie uh in like the third unit or something like that but you know, this is that's pretty solid. And like you said, this team probably needs some shooting, but like the I think the CJ BI duo is very good as is. So you throw in Zion, who you know is looking absolutely dominant, and this is all like with the caveat that he returns. Um, and surrounded by like very solid players, um, like Herb Jones, who I'm I'm a very big fan of. Like he's like you said, Trey Murphy, Jose Alvarado, these young guys who really have a lot of fight in them and are improving rapidly. Like I've really liked what I've seen from them and this team could make some noise. They could be like the Pelicans or, or they, sorry, they could, be like <laughs> they, the- they could be like the Pelicans. It's <laughs> very possible. 
they could uh they could be like the Timberwolves of this year, you know, like battling for that seven seed, eight seed spot, uh, maybe even a six seed. So anything's possible. It's just all hinge, it's all uh dependent on Zion's return. Yeah, absolutely. And going back to the Lakers a little bit, yeah. Um, I was just to say, so the Lakers are now in this position where they are a game behind the Spurs. Uh in the, the Pelicans are pretty much locked in the ninth seed. But the Spurs and the Lakers both have five games left. This is the Spurs schedule. The Trailblazers, the Nuggets, the Timberwolves, the Warriors, the Mavericks. That's a tough schedule. If we're going by simply like seeding and what like what teams quote unquote should win, they should beat Portland and then lose the next four. If we're going on who should win, they should lose to Denver, Minnesota, Golden State, and Dallas. Those are four teams that should be able to beat them. And if you look at the Lakers schedule, uh, the Lakers have to play against, I believe, the Nuggets. Uh, then, the, oh my God, the Suns, then the Warriors, then the Thunder, then the Nuggets again. So again, the Lakers is, are favored in one of those games. And that's the it. Lakers are favored in one of these games. And the Spurs are also favored in one of their games, which means if it went absolutely as is, the Lakers would be out of the play-in. What needs to happen for the Lakers uh, to get in the plan is they need to win two of their, f- or sorry, they need to win three of their last five games. Because if it stayed as is, if they if they went even in um like if they both had the same record, the Spurs would be in and the Lakers wouldn't because I think of their home record or something like that. Um, but th- that that means a lot for the Lakers. They have to beat uh, Denver, Phoenix, or Golden State. And they have to, they have to win two out of those four games, which is insane because it's tough. Yeah, I think though, if they were to win any of those games, it would have to be against the Warriors because, as we know, they've been dealing with injury. Steph Curry's still out, and we don't really know what's happening with Steph Curry. We don't know when he's going to be back, uh, or if he's going to be back in the regular season to begin with. Um, uh, the Nuggets, you know looking really strong, obviously Jokic. That's going to need a big game from AD, especially on the defensive end. And then Phoenix, they're just looking unbeatable. So I would say that they would need to take two, a win against the Nuggets in one of their two matchups and then beat the uh, the Warriors in order to have a chance because it's also dependent on the, the, the Spurs kind of sucking. You know, like if the Spurs just go on a tear and start winning all their games, the Lakers have no choice. They're just going to be kicked out of the plan, and, and that's just going to be the end of that. Yeah, absolutely. And we won't talk about the, the implications of the Lakers not being in the plan. Like if that becomes reality, what that means for the Lakers. We'll talk about that later in the season if that becomes the case. Right. We can't uh, we can't be manifesting that right now. Yeah. We gotta, <laughs> I really hope not. I really <laughs> hope not. <laughs> I mean, what we're gonna be talking about is the Lakers going being the first team ever to go from the play in to winning an NBA championship. That's gonna be an amazing story. Yeah, like <laughs> imagine in a few years they eliminate the play in and they're like the 10 seed won the, the NBA finals that year. You're like, what? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, moving on to the next one, I think we could talk about is the Grizzlies beating the Suns. Um, and the craziest part about this game was that the, the Grizzlies were missing four starters. Four starters. The Suns were fully healthy, fully healthy, and they lost this game. That is insane. I, I think um, the score of the game was 122 to 114. It was close most of the game, but I mean the Grizzlies just had more fight in them. Yep. This, this is pretty crazy. 
this is one of the deepest teams I've seen in a long time. I mean, you you look at this game, you look at the Phoenix Suns, right? And they're going to go up against the Memphis Grizzlies who don't have John Morant, Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson Jr., or Steven Adams, right? So just Dylan Brooks is alone in that starting lineup. And they come out and win this game. This is such a deep team. I love how much they battled. And um, crazy statistic, they're 20-2 and two without John Morant. Like, that is unbelievable. Without your superstar player, a consensus top 10 player in the league, you're 20-2 and two without him? Are you kidding me? So this team, like, I am more and more bullish on them as the days go by. Like, I think they can make a lot of noise and, and go pretty damn far in these Western Conference playoffs because they're just so good as a team. And then you throw in a top 10 player as sort of like the sprinkle on top. They don't even need him, really. I mean, they they are, like, only get better with him. But, you know, they, they can win just fine when he's out. So that's just unbelievable. It's not like that for any other team, basically. When Giannis is out, the Bucks are just okay. When Katie's out, the Nets are just okay. When Embiid is out, the Sixers are just okay. You know, and the, and the list goes on. But the, the, the Grizzlies are a Western Conference contender without – John Morant, like <laughs> without how about without their top four? <laughs> yeah, well, honestly, like they don't even need a starting five, they could just run their bench five as their starters and still start winning games. Yeah, I mean, Dylan Brooks has a 30 piece this game, and Zaire Williams stepped up and had 19 points. And the craziest part of this game was the Grizzlies only shot 29% from the three, from three, they shot 45% from the field. They did not have a good three point shooting night, and they still beat the Suns. I think it's just a matter of also buying into the culture. We see how teams, even when, you know, the names aren't necessarily the biggest names. Because you look at this team, and the names are not, like, crazy star-studded names. You know, it's guys like Xavier Tillman, Zaire Williams, you know. Like, Kyle Anderson. Yeah, Tyus Jones. These kind, kinds of guys. But everybody is buying into the culture on this team, and they all buy into the system. Very unselfish play. Like, everyone wants to see everyone else on the team succeed. And so there's no egos. There's no sort of uh, give me the ball and get out the way type attitude from anyone. And that's why I think they're able to beat so many of these teams. It's just they're so cohesive as a unit. And I think that's really going to serve them well in the playoffs where, you know, sticking together and being on the same page is the utmost importance. Yeah, absolutely. And I've, this team really kind of reminds me in the sense, not exactly the same, but of the 2015 Atlanta Hawks. Um, they do have a bona fide star on this team in John Morant, but take John Morant away from this team. And like we've talked about, they're still a contender And this, that core. That's what reminds me of the Hawks in 2015 was that team led by Kyle Korver, Paul Millsap, um, Dennis Schroeder was on that team, but like a core of those guys, like Paul Millsap. Nobody, yeah. yeah, nobody was like, I mean, they had did have all-stars, but nobody was like a bona fide superstar and they just won games because they had a culture. Yeah, and then they lost to LeBron. Yeah, so. yeah, but we don't have to talk about that part. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyways, um, what's it called? So let, let, let's talk about um, – let's move on from talking about the Grizzlies and talking about the Clippers for a little bit because they're, they're in an interesting position. So Paul George made his return after suffering from that, I think it was MCL tear in his right elbow. And he, in his first game back, he helped uh, lead the Clippers from a – 25 point deficit against the Utah Jazz uh, to come back and win that game. He scored 34 in that matchup. He hit three three pointers and he looked exactly 
like we last saw him. And it was also very funny to see the Clippers again coming back from a crazy deficit to beat the Utah Jazz. Uh, I think it was 25 points. It's insane. Like, this keeps happening. Like, what's going on? I think any team that meets the Utah Jazz in the playoffs is going to be a very happy team. Um, but yeah, it, yeah, they so beat Parker's... they beat the 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 Bucks by twenty. I think no, it was thirty four points. Keeping they sat Giannis, uh, Chris Middleton, and um, Drew Holiday this game. I think they just gave their stars a rest. But the Clippers went for one hundred fifty three points in regular time, not in overtime. In regular time, they had one hundred fifty three points. That's that's, <laughs> that's stupid. And Ro- Robert Covington off. Robert Covington went off for 50 or no, sorry, 43 <laughs> points. <laughs> he had 43 points uh, and on 11 three pointers made, which is pretty insane. That's, you know, as many three pointers as Kobe Bryant made in his career in a single game. It's kind of crazy how the league has turned that way. Just like, you know, any guy now can just drop 11 three pointers in the game. You know, yeah, no, Sadiq Bay can do it. Robert Covington can do it. <laughs> can do it. Like every the people who are doing this is like, it's crazy to me. Um, but th- I think yeah, I'm glad you brought up Roko because like remember that trade just like they gave up nothing and just got a lot more depth. Yeah, I think Roko it was like two second out. round picks. It was like literally two second round picks. Yeah, didn't even have to give up the first. I mean, they gave up like uh some young assets, but nothing really too consequential. And they got Robert Covington, Norman Powell with Paul George coming back and. Kawhi may be coming back. I am very, I'm very skeptical that he's going to come back this season. I think they don't want to push it, especially because he hasn't played all season. I don't think they would risk it um, because they want to just come back healthy next season and just have the best possible chance they can. But let's say just Paul George is back, right? What can the Clippers do this playoffs with PG being back into the lineup? It's a, that's a scary team, man. I mean, realistically, the Clippers just with Paul George in this core of really good role players. Like we're not talking just your average role players. These are guys who on like any team, if they want to, could probably go and make like 20 mil a year. Mm-hmm. Like we could see them. I mean, they have to play the Timberwolves. Pretty, it's pretty much guaranteed they're playing the Timberwolves. It's possible they play either Utah or Denver, but most likely they're playing the Timberwolves in the first round, which unfortunately for the Timberwolves, I think is a tough matchup for them just because the amount of wing depth on this Clippers team is insane. I think the NBA generally has really trended towards this in the past, probably like since 2010 is give me guys who are six, nine play both ends of the floor. Um, and like, I'll, I'll surround my team with guys like that. And the Clippers are the essence of that. Like if you were building a team from scratch, the, the way the Clippers have done it is the right way. They've, they've, they've surrounded their team with like, these two wings all like superstar talents Paul George and Kawhi Leonard with other good like wing talent and just generally good talent um which is a a really tough matchup for any team because like the guys who would typically be guarding like Kawhi and Paul George would be like you're Rocco oh wait he's on the team too now you're Norman Powell oh wait he's on the team too now so now you have to have your superstars guarding these guys if, if you look at the matchup in Minnesota, who the hell is going to be guarding Paul George? Like, literally no one. Like, Malik Beasley? Is that Ant-Man. who you I mean, but, like, it's like, then you have then you have Rocco, you have Reggie Jackson. Yeah. This is a, a team where it's like, give me the give the ball to anyone, and they will make something happen. And I really yeah. like the, the way they've constructed this team. 
like, got, like I, even like guys who popped off last year, Terrence Mann's still in the squad. Luke Kennard's been great this season. Marcus Morris, Batum, like there's a lot of lot of talent on the team. Hartenstein, who I think has been very very underrated this season as a backup for Zubats. This yeah. that that would be a really good matchup. I don't know. I, I'm not sure if I would favor the Clippers in a matchup with the Timberwolves in a playing playing game because I think Cat has been so good and. Who are you really gonna defend Cat with on this team? Like you have to look at that as well. Isaiah um, Hartenstein. <laughs> he beats the Zubots. Yeah, no, see, but, uh, that's barbecue chicken for uh for for Cat. Yeah, but that's Cat. definitely gonna be the case. But I mean, let's say they did get get past there. I mean, the Grizzlies are a lock for the two seed. Oh, man, I th- honestly think the Clippers have a good chance at taking that. Like that is, I I'd feel so bad for the Grizzlies if they got knocked out in the first round because they had to go against a team that should not be an eight seed or a seven seed. I don't think so. I don't. If they meet, if they meet the Grizzlies, I think that's over in like five. Draw would be guarded by Paul George in that matchup for sure. That I still think that's like the Grizzlies are just too good as a team. But I think regardless, though, like I, in my opinion, the Clippers' ceiling this season is is getting into the playoffs. Um, really, I say their their ceiling could be like second round. I don't think they're beating the Suns, the Grizzlies. I think if they meet those. I don't th- on the road. For I, them. I don't think they beat this the Suns. I think they could beat the Grizzlies though. I think you underestimate them a little bit. Well, I, think, I think you also underestimating under- the Clippers a little bit. So like that's. I mean, I I'm I'm not underestimating the Grizzlies because I do believe in the Grizzlies and I love them as a team. But you also have to realize that they're young a little bit, and going against a team of experienced veterans might be a, a part of their downfall. Potentially, but I don't know. Like, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. They got to make the playoffs first. Yeah, um, absolutely. So last thing I want to talk about in this episode is just like teams that, you know, teams have clinched the playoff spots, like, you know, the Bucks, your uh, Miami Heats, Suns, Grizzlies, but teams have also been eliminated, uh, namely the, the Knicks and the Wizards who are not going to be in the playoffs this year. So what do you think? It's kind of early to talk about, but what do you think these teams goals should be in the off season? <laughs> The Wizards, I think, just give it another try. Maybe maybe uh, try to get something for Bradley Beal. If, like, worst-case scenario, if Bradley Beal isn't happy with the way things are going. But you might have found a gem in Kristaps Porzingis. The way he's been playing for this team in the end of the season is really incredible. It's like he looks like New York Knicks, Kristaps. Um, and a, a, a front court of Kristaps Porzingis and Kyle Kuzma could actually be very good together. Um, they're both like offensive minded, but they could also hold it down defensive end if needed be. Um, and if Bradley Beal isn't happy, you can probably get some decent assets for him. Yeah, and I think for the Wizards as well, like we saw how at the beginning of the year they were clicking just based off their role players. I mean, KCP has been very, very solid on this team. Um, you know, uh, like you said, Kristaps and, and Kuzma, they've also been very good. Uh, and you bring it back Bradley Beal, like I say give it another shot. Retool the roster a little bit. Um, I mean, you still have like solid players on this team. Um, just give it another shot. Maybe make the necessary adjustments um, in the offseason and, and really just give it another shot with this core group of guys. Yeah, I was going to uh, say, you made a great point in the fact that people are forgetting the Washington Wizards for the first quarter of the season. We're the one seed. Yeah, uh, this was a very so good team. This was a very good team. I mean, to start the season, maybe it was the recency bias, but I was like, there's no way the Wizards aren't going to be a top seed. And I obviously eat my words for that. But the Wizards definitely, you saw the potential that they had. They had a, a good team of role players. And Bradley Beal got injured, and that was a big part of their downfall. So mm-hmm. if Bradley Beal stays healthy during the season, and we see a peak like New York-like Kristaps, 
this team could honestly be in the play playoffs. I mean, this team didn't have Bradley Beal for most of the year. Agreed. And I think just staying healthy is going to be a big factor for them. Uh, and what do you think over on the New York Knicks? Because I think a big question. That's hard. Answer, oh, man. Uh, the Randall question. Like, what are they going to do about Julius Randall? Yeah, that's hard because teams, I think, now see they, – they're not sure if that, that season from Julius Randle was like a fluke year because you do see those games. Like, can he do it consistently? And I think, honestly, it might take another year for the Knicks to see, can Julius, can you do this? But they definitely need to retool the guys around him. Obviously, develop RJ Barrett. It's a big one. Emmanuel quickly, another guy who's been really good for you. But it's hard with the Knicks because this team, like, just doesn't look – it just doesn't look good, and it's messy. And we saw the potential last year, but I don't think they can get back there with the league just generally being stronger, especially in the East. I I think the Knicks are kind of stuck. I think – I actually disagree. I think that, like – I think Randall is time to move on for the Knicks. I think that, yes – But where do you move him? That's That's the problem is do teams – like the probably the value the value they want to get out of him isn't the value that other teams would look at him as well regardless i think you just want to get what you can get for him and build really around rj barrett i've been so impressed by what i've seen from rj um so many big moments he's his season stats are like 26 and 3 um and he's been playing amazing this year i think that the the jump we saw from year uh you know the jump we saw here in his third year it's just going to keep on growing, in my opinion. I think next year he could really have a breakout year if he becomes the primary focus. And that is really what's going to elevate you. If R.J. Barry is, is going to be able to develop into an all-star player, I think that's what's going to make the Knicks legit. I don't think that relying on Julius Randle is going to get you anywhere besides a first-round exit at its peak versus if R.J. Barrett is able to develop and, you know, the guys around him, Emmanuel Quickly, Mitchell Robinson, these types of players are going to be there along with him growing and gelling as a squad. Then you can get a really dangerous young team, maybe like the Grizzlies. I don't want to say RJ Barrett has the same ceiling as John Morant, but like, you know, it, it could be that caliber of team. Yeah. I, I, I would agree with you that I think building around RJ Barrett is definitely better than building around Julius. I'm just not sure what teams in the league would be looking at Julius and saying, this is who we want for our future. And we are willing to give up assets that are worthy of his contract and who he is as a player from your perspective. Well, I think, sure, that I mean, that is a valid point. I would just say Julius Randle can still provide a lot of value to a bunch of teams. Just I don't think it's a one option. So, <laughs> Yeah, I just don't know where. Like, who are you going to send them to? Like, the freaking Kings are the only team dumb enough to do something like that. I mean, I guess we'll have to wait. <laughs> it's going to be exciting an exciting offseason for sure. Um, and with that, I think that's a good place to end this episode. Uh, thank you all so much for watching. There's going to be a lot to cover next week as we cover more of the uh, the play-in situation and play-off situation. Absolutely. Uh, so, I think there's going to be like one or two games left in the season. Yeah, so, so. We're, we're getting to the end of it, man. We're getting to the postseason. It's gonna yeah, be this is crazy. It went, it went by quick. It did. It did. It went by just like that. Um, but with that, thank you all so much for listening, and we'll see you all next week. Take care. Bye.